Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scene Partners. That's all I got. <laughs> no, no You're welcome. fanfare. Anything. That, that was it. That was that's all. That's all I have to give. If I had any more, I'd give it to you for free for a low cost <laughs> coupon. I found I don't it. Think anyone pays for this? <laughs> a free low cost coupon. Um. So behind the scenes, uh, people don't know this, but most podcasts we begin, we clink our glasses together. Mm-hmm. And I learned a fun fact this week. Do you know Poison. why we do that? Yeah. <laughs> I should. Why do we do that? No, it's too late. No. It's poison. Other no. people don't know it. Well, we clink why, our glasses why together. Why do we because do that? Why do we clink our glasses together? Back in the day, we would, you know, have these gentlemen's agreements and then we would have Not to clink you the glasses. And I. Not you and I, but uh, gentlemen that were meeting at the table would mm-hmm. clink the glasses to Medieval spill times. poison or spill a little bit in each other's drinks. And we right. still do that as a, as a token of here There's we like go. like a way to slosh the like wine or the meat or whatever into the other glass to show that you hadn't poisoned theirs. Yep. Kind of took the wind out of my sails on that one. I'm sorry. I honestly, I don't know. You were like, I'm real tired. And then all of a sudden, you just had a burst of energy. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm just around too many like hormonal teenagers throughout the day that now uh, I'm just also one of them. That I'm just like, I'll destroy your, <laughs> you know, I'll destroy your little happy fun time. That's it's fine. all right. We can be combative all you want. I don't, I don't want to. be wanna, the new, uh, what's that? I don't that? want to fight you. <laughs> but I my will. name is Chris McDowell. You killed my father. <laughs> hey, they're redoing that movie, aren't they? They shouldn't. Oh well, of course not. But I saw that they were redoing that film, Princess Bride. The best way to redo it is to just piece together the little TikTok thing that they did last year. <laughs> yeah, or just you know do a continuation, but don't don't touch on what has already been done. I, there are certain that, that's so interesting that you say that, and I know that we don't have this on the board at all. What is the point and the purpose of remaking something that we sort of hold in high esteem to be this classic? Well, it's the exact same reason why we revive these old, old Broadway shows constantly, you know. And this is another like thing that people seem to be talking about a lot now is why are we all the time? Reviving old Broadway shows, this old like Americana, you know, this uh, like, like, why are we doing Carousel 20 times? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do we have to do these shows over and over again? Oklahoma, like, why do we do it? And I think that for people who aren't, like, I think genuinely believe that the latest revival of Oklahoma was spectacular because they took something of old and they turned it on its head and redid the whole thing and made it very relevant. Yeah. But most of the time for a revival, they do it like the last show. I mean, they like try to make it like this big mm-hmm. old musical. And I don't, I don't know why that is like to celebrate something from the past, I guess. And I know it's mostly for tickets. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it's money oriented. It's money or oriented driven. because it is a business and they know they're going to sell tickets. But I also think, you know, there are so many new things out yes. there that could like, happen like you could celebrate new composers and yes you would you would never <laughs> no one would re you know think about remaking like star wars the the original star wars trilogy no one would touch the original jurassic park in there fact they didn't they just in the street did what you what yeah what you talked about the continuation there and it's just like the the, the need to, now i understand and totally agree with you know on a stage performance level, mm-hmm. an audience that may not have seen this before and introducing them to it. Well, but I find that like, yeah, you're going to do that on a on a scale like in regional theaters or, you know, in, in other communities yes, where you're true. bringing it or doing a tour of it. But when you're opening a show on Broadway and it's going to be in everybody's face and you're putting all this money behind it, why not celebrate new artists yeah. and use that platform to have new shows? I mean... There have been quite a few new shows, but for the most part, like every year, there's always a couple of revivals. Yeah. And it's like, my gosh. I mean, I'm saying that and I absolutely adore and listen to all the time the revival of Carousel with Jesse Mueller and Joshua Henry. But Joshua Henry and Jesse are like insane. Yeah. And hearing them sing the If I Loved You song. I don't know if you've ever you've probably never heard this, what I'm talking about. Uh-uh. Um Carousel also, but I know Jesse Mueller, and she's horrible, insanely good, crazy, crazy good. Carousel is the weirdest story ever. <laughs> it's like it's a Wonderful Life meets Clam Bake. 
<laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that's. I, I'm trying to think of anything that you would actually even know from that show. But anyway, like a dude dies and then he comes back. He's like a carny and he dies. Mm. It, do- it doesn't matter. Um, like the movie Fluke. Yeah, like Fluke, <laughs> which I have seen somehow. That is a callback. <laughs> that is a very, very far back. Um, oh, that poor little dog. Cried in the box. my eyes out. So anyway. sad. Um, but like I listen to that because I like love hearing them sing the music. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we necessarily needed it. Yeah. I feel like sacrilege, like saying that out loud just because they're so good. But I don't know if we needed it because they just they they told the story the way that it was written. They didn't really I mean, they did turn it on its head a little bit because Joshua Henry is African American and mm-hmm. and in the script before the thing that separated him from everybody else is that he worked at a carnival, like yeah. worked the rides and was kind of like a bad dude. And so everybody in the town was like, oh, you guys can't be together. It wouldn't be right. And so they kind of turned it and made it more of like a, an interracial thing. But I, and maybe I'm just ignorant to it, but I feel like I, I don't really know. I mean, have we moved past that as a society? I don't, I, I, f- I feel like we have. I mean, I, I think that all those stories are just derivative of Shakespeare. Well, yeah, yeah, well, and and true. have we moved past that? I don't think so. That's true, hundred percent. And and I know that there's a part of this that I'm harping on because I do love classical theater, and you know, and that's the thing. Like, I can get behind it because I am a fan, mm-hmm. but I don't know necessarily like if it's the platform. I feel like you know things could be better that yeah. we could support new works a lot more. You know, like Hades Town. Yeah, everybody's losing their mind over Hades Town, because and and really, a nice uh, Aeneas Mitchell has been working on that. I mean, since I was in college, she released her 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 folk out rock. It was a folk rock opera, or mm-hmm. folk opera album of that show, and it was just her and some other folk singers. Um, bon Iver is in it, like he's one of the really? singers. Yeah, she she got all these insane awesome folk singers to do the show with her and like they sang it and the music has changed a bit like some of it has changed and but for the most part all of the same songs are in there um and they've revamped some stuff but it is the same show but she was working on that for like 10 years just trying to get people to listen to it yeah and I then think she does it and everybody that... loses their mind yeah you finally get to it but it took i mean it took her a lot of work she toured that all over the place just trying to get people to look at it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't understand what it takes to actually get something from idea or concept to mm-hmm. actual production. Just to get people to see it. Yeah. Or to listen. Because you're talking, I mean, on average, a film probably takes seven to ten years from concept to... Now yeah. I guess once you establish the franchise, if you will, then it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a cog and it just keeps moving one way or the other. And I I think that <laughs> I think that we need more fresh ideas. That's what I want. Well, yeah. I mean, I do love the nostalgia of sitting down and watching new versions of some stuff that I love. You know, yeah. I mean, but that's just. But I still want to experience new content. Yes. And I think that there's so much of it out there that's just waiting to be done. It's just not being heard or listened to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dear Evan Hansen was a, a similar thing. In, in the Heights, a very another similar thing. Yes. In the Heights, Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote that while he was in college, and they performed it at his university, and it was seen and picked up from there. I mean, that's supreme luck. Yeah. When you think if he wouldn't have done that, then he wouldn't have made it to Hamilton. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, oh, I wish, you know, speaking of Hamilton, I can't wait for them to revive that just so I can listen to not Lin-Manuel Miranda sing <laughs> those songs. <laughs> I just want to hear what it's like. Can we please keep Leslie Odom in there, though? <laughs> he can stay. Yeah. But uh, I was talking about Joshua Henry. I just saw that he had posted actually on his Instagram because uh, I'm such a fan. That he had posted on his Instagram that they were fitting him for Aaron Burr. Like he's going to go on to the, he's going to join the cast. I mean, he is insane. He released a single on Spotify 
of him of his own version of singing tomorrow from Annie with just him and his acoustic guitar is so Ugh. good. Ugh. It's so good. The styles that he can switch. I mean, he and Jesse both. I know I'm I'm still stuck on these people, <laughs> but I've been I've been stuck on them for a while. I've been listening to the, to them constantly. It seems like, but. Their ability to switch between genres of music so seamlessly. I mean, Carousel is a classical, legit sound, and they both hang to it. I mean, it's it's awesome. Like Joshua's Joshua Henry's voice is just wild in that. And then you listen to him sing like this version that he just released, or some of his other music, and it is a completely different sound. Yeah, it's like I I, I just I feel like I can only sing one way. <laughs> well, like I've got one. I got one song yeah. in me. I got one thing. When you had talked about Hades Town and she had uh, Boney Vare in there, <laughs> it made me think. Well, when you start adding these people who are Broadway trained, they do mm-hmm. not sing like him. No, no I immediately no. know when it's one of his songs. Yeah, he was the he he was Orpheus. Yeah, and the person that they replaced him with, I don't know how they're going to replace that guy because he is. He's actually one of the guys from Spider-Man the Musical. He oh. was in I th- oh. I just this just occurred to me. He was Spider-Man in Spider-Man the Musical like and I don't know his name right now that plays Orpheus in Hades Town. And the guy who uh Patrick oh, I don't remember his last name that plays Hades was the Green Goblin. Hmm. Look at that. Two Spider-Man dudes. <laughs> Who knew? Here we are again. You know, ultimately, you, see, you got me a little bit too. You got me into like this dorky cycle right here, <laughs> where now I'm having a little bit too much fun. This is this is your realm of dorkiness. Yeah, you're like, huh? Hmm. Interesting. But speaking about your realm, I saw and sequels. I saw that they are coming out with a Quiet Place two. Yes. And oh my gosh! I mean, the first one. That was supposed to open the weekend of lockdown. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The first Quiet Place, oh, it was a lot. That was, was a lot for me. intensely good. And what's crazy is, you know, we talked about music a couple of weeks ago and spotting, mm-hmm. and that's another one of those movies where oh, yeah. the lack of music, you feel it. You de- Well, and you know that it's going... It, it tells you that it's like an American beauty when he says he's going to die in the first three minutes, but yes. you don't even pay attention to it. It's yeah, you like think of it as a throwaway line. The title is literally A Quiet Place, and it starts, and you're like, why is so quiet? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel uncomfortable. In fact, I think, and I may be absolutely wrong on this, as I've only watched it just a couple of times, not like a handful or anything, the only time I remember music being in the film is when they share the the earpods. Oh, and it feels awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh wow, I'm experiencing this thing, this joy that they cannot mm-hmm. have at all in their lives anymore. Right. And, you know, some of the first spoken dialogue in the film is really when they uh they go to the waterfall mm-hmm. and then it's almost like you have to be quiet. I need you to talk a little lighter, even though you're next to this waterfall and (laughs) I can hear you finally. It's just one of those weird, weird things where when you take a sense, it's, it's so it's sensory horror. Basically when you take away one of those senses and you're so like hyper-focused on this other thing, like sound, Mm -hmm. it, it works so well. And I could live in that world more. I could see a sequel to that. Well, that's immediately what I was trying to figure out when I saw it. I was like, am I all right with the fact that they are adding a sequel to this? And then imme- and immediately I was like, no, yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fun. I also just really trust John Krasinski and Emily Blunt yes. to do something that's not bad. Her performance <laughs> in that bathtub She's just so was good. insane. She's so, so good. Mm. Not fair. You know, ultimately, we are hypocritical because we are doing an old show coming up in the near future. <laughs> no, I said already, doing things in regional theater or like what we're oh, doing. Oh, fair, fair, yeah. That I think that, that it is good to bring back certain works, especially whenever it it is a way of exposing people to something that they haven't been exposed to. Yes. No one in our community has done To Kill a Mockingbird in the past 25 years. Yes, absolutely not. And so it's it's like, all right, you know, people need to see it. We need to do it. 
Um, but I don't, you know, do we need to revive like Chicago? And I know this is this is <laughs> this is like me getting on my soapbox or whatever, probably. But I was so elated that Broadway was opening up like September 14th. Mm-hmm. And it also just kind of gave me some validation of the fact that we waited so long to schedule our show. And then we scheduled it for the weekend of the 12th and they're opening Broadway on the 14th. Yes. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I think we might have. If the professionals are doing it, done, then regionally, yeah, we're valid. We might have done a, a good a good thing. <laughs> we might have made the right choice. Um, it made me feel a little bit easier, too, of the fact that, hey, this is our show's going to happen. Yeah, I was kind of struggling with that last week. Um, just from the previous letdowns, but you know, we're, we're, um, we're start like they were, they're going through and they're talking about the shows that they're bringing back and when, Mm -hmm. and of course, like they're looking at smaller casts. So the, one of the first musicals that's opening on Broadway is six, the musical, which is about Henry VIII's wives. And it's really fun. And, um, and then the next one was Chicago was reopening <laughs> okay it's like oh my god, god do we have to like come on uh have we not learned i agree it's like, not my I favorite that, show i know that we are opening like it's great there's fun stuff in it people dance lingerie or whatever like i mean cool we're doing this show but do we need that to open like that's gonna be the show that we open like why this is the statement that we want to put out yes is this what we're like okay same tricks different day (laughs) like we have had so long to figure out what we want to do and the producers of broadway are like you know what we're going back to the old ways like we could do something different come on especially whenever you see that people respond to newer shows in such a huge way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dear Evan Hansen made Ben Platt's career. Yeah. Pitch Perfect did not make it. <laughs> no. He was in it. He was in that movie. That made Anna Kendrick's career. It made Anna, Anna Kendrick's career. It did not make Ben Platt's. Ben Platt left Pitch Perfect and then went on. Why do I know this information? And then he went on tour with Book of Mormon. Yeah. Playing the the comedic role in it, and I saw him in it, and he was actually very very funny and very good. But I mean, then he does, and still like you know nothing, and does Dear Evan Hansen, and he gets albums and he wins a Tony. He gets his own TV show. He's in a Linklater musical film that is spanning twenty years. That's a quick. That's a commitment, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of merrily we roll along, like they're doing this version of it's sometimes merrily we roll along, and there's this big time jump in the middle of the show, and it's kind of always looked at as a problem play because of it, because people are like, how do you legitimately do this on stage with this massive jump in time? Like I'm going to put people in old makeup or old age makeup. Like what are you doing? And so they're actually going to do it because it's him. They're going to do it where they film it now and then throughout time they're gonna come back to it after he ages over the next 20 years they have like people locked in to do this i genuinely have a problem with that i know that people talk about that as the problem play and everything but it's also like we suspend disbelief for an hour and a half on stage yeah all the time and we now have the technology to age a person up to look very realistic. Uh, and, and I think even, it's just the novelty. I think it's the like, look at us, look what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, that's the Richard it's Linklater. Like we're crap he did the thing same thing. What was his his movie Boy or about Boyhood? A boy, boyhood. That's yeah. what it was. Not about a boy. <laughs> a very <laughs> different movie. Boyhood. Yeah, that's what he did with Boyhood. With but the, see, with that the was interesting that because you're watching. This uh, this one boy grow up, yeah, and it's like this was really cool because it is a kid growing up. But when you're an adult and it's this twenty year gap, we have the technology. Just make the movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it honestly is just it's kind of like a gimmick in a yeah. way. Um, twenty years, even in though the it's yeah, even <laughs> though it's like, hey, we're doing this, and it's super honest because he is changing as well as. 
his character has changed. So like he can identify with his character more because he's lived more. I'm like, man, I don't like what happens if you're on like year eighteen acting. and he dies. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Happened? Well, we have to start over. Like, well, I guess we'll CGI him in. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could deep fake him. <laughs> like, oh, well, just all of a sudden he's in the bathroom. Yeah. Where did he go? Well, he's in the bathroom. Oh man, he's been there a while. The movie ends. It's different when you have like the Robert Zemeckis castaway where they filmed. You know, when he first arrives on the island a year earlier and then they come mm-hmm. back a year later, but he also made a movie within that year span. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as gimmicky. And we get to see that body shift from one to the other. It was a drastic body shift yes. in that film. That also had a lot to do with his health. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we want you to do this in a healthy way. A you have a way. year. Yeah. What What's his name? Uh, that also was, I, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. It does, that was, uh, the in the Christopher Nolan Batman, the Batman. Oh, oh, oh! British, uh, dude, Cockney uh, British dude. Uh, Bale, Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale. Like in the Machinist. Yeah. Whenever he lost all that weight and he just looked so bad. You know what's just crazy? Scary, scary. Is when he did the movie Vice. That was the only time he ever did any kind of like weight shift on his body. That he went with a a nutritionist and a Are you trainer. Serious? Yeah. But he didn't just was like, all right, I'm gonna just. He just does it. When he lost all that weight for the machinist, he talks about just cigarettes and whiskey. Uh. (laughs) I was like, oh, man. Oh, I remember my shock whenever I was watching um, (laughs) Kenneth Brennan's Henry Five and Christian Bale is in it as a child. Yes. And he pops up as the boy with the luggage. But yeah, I just could not believe that. I was like, oh, my God, it's a little baby Christian Bale. (laughs) He's so innocent. <laughs> he looks so crazy. I mean, because he's also in um, uh, Newsies. Newsies, too. yeah. But he just still somehow looks the same. Yes. Like, even as a kid, you're like, man, that guy's done some hard drugs. And it wasn't until, like, American Psycho that you really start to see, like, him become a real, like, adult actor. Like, oh, I there you it. are. There he was. There, there he, he was. was, for sure. <laughs> so we... We have been thinking, talking about like reprogramming our show, like doing uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and getting it all up on its feet and everything. And I've got to be honest, I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling with like, I feel good that we've got an idea of our new set, Mm -hmm. but I'm still and I might harp on this a little too much, but I'm still hung up on letting myself be okay with the fact that the show is differently than I different than I originally saw it and being all right with moving forward with with it even though it's different I'm like yeah. am I doing a disservice to the play so I've heard um this uh I don't know why I've been watching these uh th- documentaries on composers a lot and they were talking about how you know, sometimes they'll create this piece that they've been kind of like thinking about for a while mm-hmm. and they'll like write it all out and they'll have all the pieces and then their hard drive will crash and they'll lose all of that work. Yeah. And they'll have to go back and just basically start bare bones from the ground up and do that, try to mimic that same thing. And it's never the same. But they say, you know, sometimes when we go back to that, it's better than the first idea we had. Oh, yeah. And in my mind, I have to think about it and reframe it in that way. Mm-hmm. That, sure, the first idea we had was good and it was this, this, and this. But I think that this could be better. That, you know, I know we've reconceptualized and I know that that you have this different investment than maybe I do to, like, overall design. Whereas I'd love to just tell the story. And I'm not saying yeah. that you aren't invested in that way. but Well, you- I mean, I just have to, th- I think that it's maybe different because I'm thinking about it from a, an every, mm-hmm. every spectrum of it. Like I just, the, the consideration of, of every moment, you know, I mean, even, even today you and I are talking about b- beforehand, uh, we were eating in there with Lexi and we're talking about the poster. Like I designed a poster last night that I'm going to throw into the garbage because I feel like I need to redesign the poster from the time we were going to do it before. Because for some reason, to me, that just seems a little confusing. <laughs> it's like giving 
the 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 girl that you're about to marry an old ring. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> that's exactly what it is. They're like, hey, this uh, this still works. Yeah, right? <laughs> this is still an engagement ring technically. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. It does the same thing, but it's just it's almost like yeah, but that that poster to me or that design of it is gone, mm-hmm. and so now I have to try to figure out a way to, in a way, kind of pay homage to it i guess and then also create something new and maybe it's just because i'm too much in my head and i've had this idea of what i wanted to do but it was too expensive and so now i'm just trying to make it work (laughs) with what i you know in my vast limitations with photoshop can can do i don't know i don't i don't know exactly what the answer is but even with the poster i'm like stuck i'm stuck on this poster and the first thing I created, which I, was my favorite critique from Lexi, was uh, it looks like a Hitchcock film. And I'm like, you're <laughs> right, but I didn't want you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> like, even yeah. though I know that it's not the best and that it's going to get there, sometimes you just want somebody to be like, that's great. Even though really that's not what I want. I, yeah. I wanted her to tell me because I don't want to waste my time on it. But still... I just like I think there's something wrong with my brain where I have this mental block now of uh, in creating and I don't know what it is like I'm I'm stuck or I'm afraid of investing too much. This is why they say podcasts are just two dudes who are too afraid to go to therapy. I'm literally going through a therapy (laughs) session right now. It's happening. You're you're literally talking through all the questions I, I wanted to ask you. I'm just saying it all out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just afraid of investing too much creative energy to it and then being let down because mm-hmm. it it's not going to happen. But I know it's going to happen. Yeah. I think having the rug ripped out from under you, it's in the same way that you could kind of view um, a breakup that you didn't see coming. You you didn't stop loving that person today. And now you're expected to like that other person. Yeah. Well, that other person. Oh, a breakup you didn't see coming. Yeah, you didn't see coming. (laughs) That other person, you know, had this. I mean, wouldn't that just be serendipitous, though? They're like, hey, we're broken up. It's crazy. I woke up this morning, realized didn't love you anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I was fine. So this this really works for me. (laughs) Yeah. And so when the other person is blindsided by it, they don't. They don't they don't immediately lose that investment. And I think that's maybe where you're at. Like you're still attached to that old version in a way and you were you your hope was deferred and that's one of the things that sucks the most about the human experience yeah maybe just a thought maybe i should just do the poster (laughs) (laughs) stop being i don't think you should beat your head against the wall against it too much no i know anyway still beat your head against the wall i think it's just you it is the thought of we've had so long to get it perfect. Mm-hmm. And I just want it to be, I want it to be awesome. Not just we, for me, but for everybody. And I know that it's going to be. being imperfect be. all the time. I know. And that's, and that's what right. makes it perfect. Oh we can't be hypocritical. <laughs> I could be as hypocritical as I want. <laughs> I love old shows, but I don't want to see Chicago. Look, but I don't. I don't want to see <laughs> Chicago. There's a list of shows that I don't want to see anymore that I'm good with. There's also, like, I would be open to being surprised by any of them, much like the Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So how in the past have you moved past creative blocks that you've had before? And have you tried any of those techniques? I'm kind of, at this moment, I cannot think of a single time when I've had a creative block. I feel like this is a genuinely new experience. Well, you've moved from one thing to the next to the next. And now Now, I know that there's been exactly. I know that there has been times where in performing that it's just not working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a director or a producer, you have the advantage in a way of when you create something, you then get to watch it. Yeah. Grow. And as it's growing, if you realize something isn't working, hopefully you have the courage to admit that to yourself and to everybody else and be like, all right, we need to fix this. Yeah. This was the wrong path. And if you do, then, you know, then you end up with a, a you, you will end up with a good product still. But 
I know that there there's there's plenty of struggles. Most mostly, I feel like all of my creative blocks happen with we don't have the money to do what needs to be done. So how can I creatively make sense of this and it still fit within the world of the show? And am I going to have to change the entire world of the show to accommodate this one aspect? Yeah. And if I do that, is it worth it? And will it read? You know, like those those things I feel like are always my creative blocks. Mm -hmm. Or I'm playing the role of a tenor and I'm not <laughs> tenor. <laughs> um, but mostly it's just always like working, working it out, just like going not like for me, I don't think that it's about stopping. I think mm -hmm. I have to just continue forward even whenever it drives me crazy and then not let myself be frustrated with the repetition and then eventually get to a point where, oh, okay, now I see where it's going. Yeah. You know, one of the things that Jerry Seinfeld talks about, you know, when you get on stage and it's not working, what do you do? And he says, I just trust the material. I trust that the material is going to work for the audience and we I just get through it and I just trust that the material is there and it works and with this I think that To Kill a Mockingbird is the material and I think it works and it's never been more timely than you know right now yeah Other I mean the material is definitely I think that's why that's why I want to do such a good job I want to do a service to the piece mm -hmm. and to all of our actors that we've you know strung along for a year or that the world, in a sense, has strung along for a year. Like, we've we've been waiting yeah. to do this. And people have stuck with us. And it's just, oh, the hope. The hope is strong. And honestly, I know that my big... I, I know I have a problem with getting caught up in the details sometimes. Where I shouldn't be so worried about the poster of a show. And I know that that's ridiculous. But I feel like that is the <laughs> first thing... That anyone is going to see yeah. whenever we do anything. And the minute that you see that, like when I and I, this is probably because that's what I think. If I see a poster that looks, you know, like it's shoddily done or it's just kind of like some hot garbage, some hot garbage, then I immediately think, well, that's the way that show is going to mm -hmm. go. Like, you know, that's and maybe like that's if they put not, no effort to that, then they put no effort to the show. And right. like I get that it's just information, but it should be visually striking as well. It should give you a and reflection of what you're yeah. going to see. So I just and, and, and what we are doing is not Hitchcock, so I definitely have to do a new poster. <laughs> <laughs> you can't spit into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, I had a do mouthful. Not do yeah. a spit take. <laughs> to, to, to kill a mocking birds, Hitchcock <laughs> with the birds just attack I right in the middle of the courtroom. Laugh. I refuse to laugh at any of this. It's Ridiculous. <laughs> um, the verdict but, comes in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. It's the wrong show. Got you to laugh. It's psycho. Doesn't matter. Um, so I, I think that everything is. I, I feel good about. Maybe we'll just do a weekend up, a weekly update of where I am at emotionally and doing this show for the next like three months. <laughs> I feel like we've been there since we've been uh, doing this now thirty for a some year. odd weeks. That's that is true. <laughs> um, but I I am. I'm thankful that it's back and I'm so excited that we are going to jump in and do this. And like I met with Amanda who's playing, um, who is playing Miss Maudie yesterday. And we talked through the character because it's an interesting role in the fact that she is someone who narrates the play mm -hmm. and our adaptation. And she also is a character. And it, I, we, we were having this discussion about the fact that, it can be kind of a trap where you see people play narrators that also have a role in the play, that they're not strictly narrating. Mm -hmm. And even when they are playing their role, like, because you, it's the same role, two different energies. It has to be. Yeah. Um, and they have to be defined. But what I find happens a lot is that when they're in the scene itself, they get like this godlike. Yeah, tendency where they're like <laughs> you're not omnipresent all of a sudden. I still know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're living in the moment. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, we all know what she's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all acting up here, but it's kind of like they're they're always the narrator. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you have to be able to have 
two distinct energies where I know that you're narrating and I know that you're in the show. Yeah. What's cool is if you do it, and I'm not talking like it's Jekyll and Hyde, but like you do it and it's noticeable enough to the audience, like they follow you mm-hmm. in an instant. They totally get it without question. And it's so weird how they can just just totally be okay with yeah. somebody being like, this happens here every day, jumps right into the scene and then... Yeah, she's well, the character now. Yeah, it's it's like uh, uh, Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. <laughs> in that when Tom Hanks is telling the story and narrating. Tom Hanks twice today. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and Robert Zemeckis. Um, but when Tom Hanks is telling the story, you know that that it, there is a distinct tonal difference in his voice. Yeah. And you know that when he is in the moment, like he is experiencing those things. And I know that they have the voiceover thing that they can play around with. Yeah. But it is that same thing where even the vocal energy is different mm-hmm. than, you know, when you're in the scene energy. And I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, when you're narrating, you're not necessarily experiencing it in real yes. time. I mean, you're retelling you can still, the story. You can still have an emotional response to it as a narrator, but I don't think that it's. That, that's why I always tell people when they're doing a monologue, don't do a story monologue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it would have to be a very good story yeah. monologue, but don't go in because it's always so easy for people to be like, well, here's a monologue. Here's a chunk of text from a play. <laughs> well, of course it is. No one responds. Yeah. There's nothing. The nothing happens. It's just one person speaking. You know, ultimately, we're all storytellers in some degree or fashion. But yeah. I mean, you <laughs> we ha- want to experience and see you live the story. Yes, and don't just choose the monologue because it's easy. And it was the first big chunk of text on page three. <laughs> some sort of Christopher Durang <laughs> monologue. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> hey, so um. I wrote on the board because I was thinking the other day about how important it is to have well-trained technicians. And oh, yes. Yeah. And I know that that seems kind of crazy because when people say like, oh, I want to go into theater, for the most part, anybody who talks to me, even from a producer standpoint, they're always like, I want to be on the stage. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I'm thinking in my mind, please, God, go somewhere else in the theater and find a passion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not just because, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's a terrible actor, but I'm saying that there are so many jobs, yeah. so many jobs <laughs> and creative outlets. And it's not all like, I think people see people on stage and they're like, I want to do that. And they don't think about the fact that there is someone that has designed the sound for the show, that is running the sound for the show, the lights, that is spending just as much time. You just don't notice it, and that's why it's so good. When you don't notice it and you yes. only notice the acting, you have amazing technicians. That's like I was talking to a props person once, and they asked me, they were like, hey, did you um, see that prop? And they were asking me about this prop, and I was like, oh, my God, no, I didn't even see it. They were like, awesome. Awesome. Nice. I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, if you didn't notice it, I did a really good job. Because I wouldn't have been like, oh, that's a prop. It would have just been a part of the show. Like, obviously, it's there. I wouldn't have thought of it like, oh, look at those props on the stage. It's just like, oh, look at the stage. But you, <laughs> and it is funny you say that. Like, if you don't notice it, then it's great. But when it is off. When it's off. You immediately you, oh, notice it. <laughs> yes, you immediately notice it. Why are the lights doing that? Is this a laser show? <laughs> I can't hear a word this person has said all Why night. Why are those glasses empty? <laughs> oh, I yes. always like the glassware is always big. Or like, why do they have actual real life glass on the stage? That's <laughs> not supposed to happen. Yeah. Train wreck rate waiting. It's just like somebody's going to break this. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, but so, but there's so many different positions to go into. And I just wonder like, I, and I think about this here because we're always looking for people to fill these roles. And I think that on some level it is a failure in some communities to not train people on a community level to be good stage managers and good lighting and good sound technicians. Because really in community theater or on a community level, that's where you kind of cut your teeth at it or you like figure out 
you're mentored by somebody and you just you have the ability to explore without necessarily you know spending uh the equivalent of a house on a student loan before you know if you want to do it or <laughs> yeah. you know like all of those things and you you have that time to explore and to not necessarily have the weight of the world on your so- shoulders when you're doing it like ha- making a mistake is going to be okay yeah and in a community setting if you end up being a really good lighting guy you end up being like the only lighting guy and you end up like Kendall yes. in our community who has way too much to do he has so many things to do all the time yeah. he does everything but he literally does everything With the, yeah but and, and he was <laughs> who he I was thinking of specifically came up and learned all of that stuff in the community because at the time there were people in the community that could teach him those things and he was interested in it and was like yeah I want to know these things but now it's like everybody just wants to be the star of the show and you just not everybody gets that part. Yeah. And I know that sometimes <laughs> it's hard to think like, can you get joy out of being the guy who designs the sound? <laughs> I would if say no one yes. sees it and no one applauds me or thinks me afterwards in the lobby. Does, did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, did it count? Because see, when when we're doing a show, when when everyone, the whole, you know, uh, the everyone that is involved in it, production. Um, technician, all of that, even the actors, it is all a dance. Yeah. And we are all like trying to do the moves that we're supposed to be doing at the right time so that the curtain closes here so that the music cues stop here or the lights go off or shift here. And you can easily overlook those people. And, you know, I can't say that I haven't done it, but I do try to be like, uh, to go up to those people and say, hey, that was great. That was awesome. Thank because you. Because they don't get appreciation otherwise. Exactly. It's very easy to skip over those people. And <laughs> But if they were not there, you would know. You would notice. And, you know, some there was an acting class that I had taken one time. And there was someone who, you know, as someone who is on the stage... There was someone in this class that wasn't really cut out to be an actor. Yeah. And you really want to tell that person and have the courage and the guts to be like, I don't think that this is for you. Yeah. Maybe there is another job that you can do. And I think that they thought it would be so easy to act until they had to actually get in touch with emotions. Yeah. And then and it was a different like, thing. Yeah. I, I can't really do this. In my mind, I think I'm doing it differently, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Also, learning a monologue is not easy. Yeah, it can be very that difficult. Person. And it can be very difficult. But, um, I, I mean, like, at, and, and in my university, they would just go up to the person in what they called juries. Like, you, when you were a sophomore, you had sophomore juries. And you went in and you gave, you did three monologues. And then you left and then the uh, entire theater faculty would call you back for a meeting and you would sit down and they would basically tell you everything that was wrong with you (laughs) and most likely how you're not going to make it in the business. Mm. And, um, you know, not everybody got that treatment, but I remember so like on sophomore jury day, you always knew the day. Mm -hmm. It was very quiet and the only thing you heard were the distant wannabe silent tears of a heartbroken young actor yeah. <laughs> um, who had just been destroyed. Because uh, they used that moment your sophomore year. They're like, this is the time. Because after this year, you don't get to turn around and try to choose another major. <laughs> right. So there were a lot of people that after their sophomore year went from being in the BFA program to either in the BA program or to the technical theater program. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, wow, we all of a sudden got a lot of lighting designers. It's crazy. But it was because they were, you know, they didn't say that we had a cut program, but we did, really. It was like, hey, you're not in the BFA program anymore. Here <laughs> yes. is a list of some other majors. And then when you're a senior, they do it to you again. And it was learn five monologues. <laughs> 
going here and then we're going to tell you about how you'll never work in the business after you yeah. use, you know, after you graduate. However, like same thing as a senior, you ought to already have five monologues under your belt. Well, yeah, that's that is true. That is true. And you you do. I mean, it's that's not the worst thing in the world. It's just the stress. Honestly, the hardest thing of that entire thing. I remember going in there. The hardest thing was slating it being like, hello, my name is Cody Walker and I'll be doing a monologue from <laughs> and you had to like memorize your order and if yeah. you didn't get the right order they just slammed you like you were you know satan and you just murdered all these children you're like my god i just messed up on the order like <laughs> technically you said you were gonna do this number four and you did this number yes two. you said you were going to do god of carnage but instead yeah. you did romeo and juliet it's like well i did five so <laughs> it, it, it all happened <laughs> But I just I wish that there was some way and I don't know the answer to it to encourage people to learn more of the technical side of it also. Mm -hmm. And I will say that was one awesome thing that I loved about our program uh, at OCU was that they encouraged everybody like all of the actors had to take even though it was it was an acting program. We still had to take dance. We still had to take voice for music. We still had to take um all the technical theater classes. And then we had to run the shows. So if you weren't acting, like if we were, cause OCU does something like insane, like 78 productions a year. Wow. It is nuts. That's awesome though. The amount of productions that's including dance, opera, music, mm -hmm. theater. And, uh, but at some point theater. you should have experience, but Oh my God. And then they do co-productions and they do children's theaters. They have like a children's theater that's attached to the university that doesn't only do kids performing in shows, but they have the adults and college kids performing for the kids in kids shows. So like they're interesting. Doing, yeah. So, but it's, and it's awesome. It's so good. But, um, and that's mostly for your people that are being educated in children's theater, obviously. But yeah. uh, still, it's a lot of productions. So they always needed people to run tech. There's no way they could have enough technicians for that. But it was great because it made all of the actors, no matter who you were, at some point in time, you ran sound or you ran lights or you designed, like helped the designer with setting up the lights and focus and or run spotlight like you did you you were a deck hand you did everything mm -hmm. and i had the thank goodness the um the job i was a i worked in the actual scene shop with the people and that's come in handy so much now <laughs> because if i would not have had that experience you know and also earlier on in the community if i would not have had the experience with working with uh Catherine in the scene shop at Fama Playhouse that used to be in Alexandria when I was younger and then into college to just work in the scene shop. I, there's no way I'd be able to build the sets that we've been able to build. Yeah, because I would have no idea what I was doing. I mean, there's there's just no way. And other people don't really know how to do that stuff anymore. I mean, building for the stage is very different than building a house. Mm -hmm. And I know whenever I first came back and I went into the scene shop to do a show, I was looking at some of the the sets that were left, like from previous shows that hadn't been torn apart. And I was trying to see what I could do to piece together some stuff without spending too much money. And they were all built like a house. I was like, these are so heavy. <laughs> yes. like, this is made out of two by twelves. Like, this is insane. You'd ask me to come help you, and it was like, like dude, I could drive no way a we tank can over this, these. and it yeah. wouldn't move. Like, what are you? You kidding me? And it's just because we, for theater, it comes down so much. You don't have to worry about building it to last like that. Oh my gosh! And it stays inside as long as it doesn't fall on an actor. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's. There's just easier, like more efficient, cheaper ways to do it than, you know. I have helped you take apart some sets that you had put together. And I thought, how? How, is, how did this not fall? <laughs> well, that's I'm glad terrifying. this was hidden from me. That's terrifying for you to say. Everything that I have done <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be recorded forever. People will be like, wait, can I actually walk on this? I mean, there have been times where I've been directing a show and I'm like, do not walk over there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, where you haven't, it's not done. Do not step on those steps. 
It is not braced. <laughs> it's up, so you know where it is, but do not step on it. Yes. We will all die. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing that again. Not, you know, like having unsafe sets or anything like that. I feel like all of my sets have been rock solid. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I can say that with absolute total assurance. Is that why you hop on the ladder and take all the high pieces off before anyone else can get to them? No, that's because I'm, well, the reason why I do that is because I don't want anyone else to be able to file an insurance claim. <laughs> Not because I want to be out of work and be the one to do it. Because yeah. I don't want to have to. Like, I'll suffer through the injury. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take somebody else to the hospital. And also, uh, I haven't wanted to buy new screws for a very long time. So I have a lot of different <laughs> types of... like. Anyway, this is ridiculous. No one cares about this information. But this is, you know, part but of the, is, the technical side of it. It is It is one of those things that a lot of times, you know... I am the, giving you a hard time. Your sets are always very sturdily built. No, it's cool. Uh, when I was in the... When I was performing and, like, professionally or, you know, directing or doing anything in theater, in the professional world, there's money. And there are people that you collaborate with on these things, the other technicians that are doing this for their real job. Yeah, this is their job. And you're like, hey, this is my concept. This is what I'm feeling. These are some elements that I'd like. Um, and we'll have another meeting soon, and I'd like to see what you have for a set. And instead, it's me. I read the... <laughs> and the same thing with costumes and, like, props. You just, like, have a conversation with other people. Mm -hmm. And then they make those things happen. And you kind of forget that it takes a lot to make... <laughs> like, you just... I guess I took it for granted. Yeah. And, like, you talk well, to the lighting you designer, have to put and you're like, all the hats this is on. the world. And on, a, like, a more community setting or whenever you're doing theater on a budget... And you don't have all of that money. You're like, all right, I'm doing the lights. I'm doing the sound. I'm creating the set. People want to know what costumes to buy. So I've got to come up or, you know, like what costume they're wearing. So I've got to find the costumes. I got to figure out all this stuff and give it to everybody. And I'm like, you're a one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. And you're the marketer. I mean, it's it's like a whole other level on a on a community setting to be able to do those things. And you just have to, like, thank God that you have really awesome people that jump on and volunteer and help you do those things. And that's why, like, I hope that we're fostering growth in the technical side of things, not just on the be the star. Mm -hmm. Like, there are other ways to shine in theater. Like, my God, the if you're a good stage manager in this town... I will worship at your feet. <laughs> like, One just, of the best stage managers I ever had. I never had to guess where my prop was. Yeah. I never had to ask for anything, and it was always 100% done. And I know that that's like a very egotistical thing to say, mm -hmm. but it had never happened in that way before that I thought, I know you want to be on the stage. You're the best stage manager I've ever had. Please reconsider. Yeah, this is what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, and it, I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 like we got. I feel so lucky that we have Heather here, who is the best stage manager. Oh man, I've ever had, and I I just oh I feel every so night lucky. if my prop was still on the prop table, she would walk it over to me yeah, if I like, hadn't hey. picked it up in a timely manner. She's like, hey, according don't to her. forget this. Yes. Don't forget this. This is your job. <laughs> Yeah, she is the best. And I'm just so thankful that we have people like her, you know. And, like, I don't know what we would do without my father-in-law, who's, like, the best sound man I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And he's just so in it to win it and just very, like, understands how to rebuild things and make something work and last. Yeah. Like, a cheap little microphone will last for a very long time in the hands of Glenn Leger. Well, the thing I have to give him a credit for is as someone who does play music, the fact that whenever I play and he is running sound, I can always hear myself yeah. with no feet. I've never heard that man have feedback on stage ever. Well, and when he, it, I mean, there will be feedback. I mean, it's just inevitable, but he also 
does something that a lot of other sound technicians don't do, and he plays with like the mix. Yeah. And that's why you can hear yourself is that he's riding that line and constantly changing things to keep it from feeding back. Mm-hmm. That whenever he hears it, he's pulling certain things down. He's not just, you know, yeah. keeping everything out of the monitors and sitting back and kicking <laughs> his feet up and being like, here we go. Click, click, click. You're unmuted. Yeah. Which is what a lot of people do. They just mute and unmute mics. They turn it up. If you can hear it in the audience, you're good. But he's, he's you know in the way that you started this and you're nerdy about all the, the theater people and their jobs and yeah. and stuff like that. He's really nerdy about sound. Well, he also like he has found, and this is why, what I really love is that he is, th- this is what he is good at. And it is how he is able to lend a hand to the show. And he is just as much a part of it. And he knows it as if he were, was on stage. Yeah. And he gets nerdy about that, too. Like, he loves sitting out there and watching it as much as he can and seeing the change and then knowing that he plays a part in it. I think that's awesome that he can find that joy. I mean, it's like our friend Jamie, who just really geeks out on running the spotlight, and I still don't understand it. I mean, I don't I don't really ever say anything about it because I need somebody to run spotlight. And I'm like, I'm so excited that you're so excited I do not understand it because I think of that as the most miserable job. Yeah. But I'm so glad that you love it. But she's just like loves being up there watching the show. It's just I I wish that there was a way that we could bring more people into the the technical side of things. Yeah. Like on our level. You know what's interesting is I had a conversation with my buddy Tucker this past week. Um he works out in LA and he's been on like some of these like crazy high profile projects. Like he worked on um, the Bumblebee movie that came out a couple of years ago. And I asked him uh, this past week, I said, you know, when you're on these sets and you see like the blue screens or, you know, you're, you're going to be ultimately 80 yard over or something mm-hmm. that you're doing. Does that, you know, you know how the sausage is made. Does that ruin it for you? He goes, absolutely not. If anything, I know how the sausage is. Well, he said first, he said, let me tell you this. If I ever went to a sausage factory and I saw how the sausage was made, I'd never eat it again. (laughs) He said, (laughs) secondly, no, because I see everything that goes into it and it makes me appreciate the final product even even more. more. And I think that that's maybe the thing that we have to instill. Like just because you're pulling a curtain, just know that you're helping close that story, close that scene out. So that we can open back up mm-hmm. for the next thing. Well, and just like anything, the energy that you give it or the, the emotion, depending on whatever it is in, on the technical side of it, enhances the story a hundred times over. And it's the same thing with the lights. You just like what we were talking about with music. If you fade the lights in or out or if you do harsh cuts or whatever it is that you've decided you are influencing the way an audience member is going to feel Yeah. in that instance. The same thing with the sound designer. You know, your decisions, the way that you decide to do it, you are also molding the story just as much as anybody else with the press of a button or the pull of a fader Mm -hmm. or of a rope with a curtain. And I just, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm hoping that when we get through this, that, there are more people that are like, hey, you know, I, I may not want to be on the stage, but I also want to be backstage. I mean, I've had people that have said, I really want to just, I just want to be backstage. I want to help out. And then, you know, it gets to it and they're like, oh, this is kind of a little bit more work than I was expecting. And yeah. then they kind of ghost you. And they're like, oh, I forgot. About, like, they're just gone. <laughs> and you have to file that in the back of your mind. Okay, like, do not right. call that person again. So don't trust that. And so I think after a while you get burned on that. And when people say like, I would really love to help backstage sometime, you're like, okay. You just stop trusting that that might actually be a genuine thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's me. Maybe I should be more trusting of the help. you just jaded somebody. in your old age. <laughs> Maybe curmudgeon. I do feel a little curmudgeon-y of this <laughs> episode. But I do think that it, you know, I should just get to a point where I trust the people that are genuinely offering to help. Yeah. But it is hard when you've been burned a couple times. Uh-huh, yeah. For sure. Mm. You know what I like about a really good story is that it knows when to end. And that's where we're at. I thought it was gonna be a joke, man. Nope. <laughs> 100% thought no that jokes. was going to be a joke. 
I could tell you like five. Did you just end it abruptly? No. Oh, I thought you reached over there. It was like nose went to end. And no, just the, was like the clicked. screensaver had come up and I was like, oh, no. I genuinely thought that you were just going to do that. I was like, that was such an alpha move. That was so huge. I don't have alpha moves. That was so good. Um, you know who does have alpha moves? Who? You. Because you are Christophanopoulos. And you were Cody. Your turn. Seen enough of those. (laughs) (laughs) Your turn. I hope you're going to cut all of that little business. Um, Who even knows?